0: The Creative Business Podcast, the podcast that aims to help you build a better, more successful creative business. And as you can see, we're already on it this morning. So how are you doing, Marcus? Uh,
1: I'm good, doing well, Nathan. I just got up. Like, I know we were <laughs> just talking about this. The time difference is so drastic. For you, it's the middle of the day, like late afternoon. For me, it's the good and godly hour of 7 a.m. And uh, because you're in Spain and I'm on the Pacific Coast, so uh you know what i probably don't look my best so if you're watching on video (laughs) switch to audio immediately
0: (laughs) i i said just before literally just before i hit the record button you look so tired i think you actually said you look like crap (laughs) (laughs) well
1: Well, you know what i i just want to say i'm glad that your cast is off so if you're just listening nathan's hand was in a cast for a long time he's got two hands now um and and are you back out writing more
0: I'm back out, I've just started the last couple of days actually, so I've I've been out on a couple of rides now and it's it's fantastic. I've still got like uh, two weeks left, they say apparently before it finishes healing, but uh, and it is a little bit weak and stuff and feels a bit weird, but it's unbelievable how much it limits you, you know, and everything you do, just these tiny stupid little accidents, but there you go, yeah, so it's, it's good to be back, it's good to be back on the bike more than anything. <laughs> good. And it's good, good not yeah. to be using vocal recognition software anymore.
1: Oh, that's right, because you were doing the thing like, I call it the Stephen Hawking thing, right? Or whatever you were talking with, although that's just the inverse. You were you were typing with some sort of dictation software? Yeah, that's
0: right. Yeah, I was, I was using Apple's own built-in dictation software, you know, which for free built-in software works pretty well. But you have to go back and correct so many things. I think unless you speak like the queen, it's never going to pick up everything, you know? And let's face it, I don't speak like the queen, so... <laughs>
1: i've always thought that was one of those things that you know you're watching a, a science fiction movie they always talk to their computers that way and uh, evidently maybe it's not as perfect as uh, as like apple ships it that's great but seems like it, it's sort of only if you've broken a hand maybe yeah. is the time to use it and
0: i did check out a few of the, like the main sort of competitors on on the market and while some people said it was fantastic, others just said it was awful, you know, regardless of which software it was. So I, perhaps it just comes down to the accent and you know, and how well you speak and pronunciate and all these things. Obviously, any software is gonna have a hard time with me, so <laughs> well, am glad it's no behind so- me.
1: No software is perfect. Um, well, okay, look, we were talking about doing a show full of the questions people ask, right? Because we told people, they could ask us questions. What were we thinking? But we got some questions, didn't we?
0: Yeah, we got a, we got a few here lined up. What we, what I suggest is that maybe we take a couple per episode and try and work our way through and just uh, have a bit of a chat in general. And then maybe as well, in a couple of weeks, we'll come back and, and do some more topics. I think we might have to get Michael back on as well. We've been getting some Ooh. very specific. Technology-based questions with regards to, to building software, and that is just that's above my pay grade as well as above my head. So you know,
1: he's a fan favorite. Like whenever I feel like we have him on the show, the one time, and he's such a great social media people. Like uh, I think people people just love him. I think
0: it, it's, it's it's the nice guy factor. I think it's uh, <laughs> people people can relate not not like not like not like the two sad grouchy Eeyores, you know that's right. <laughs> thinking,
1: I, i'm the old grump and uh you,
0: i don't know what and i'm you working are. You, on it and i'm working on it
1: yeah but michael is just so cheerful um you ever have somebody in your life that's it's great to have cheerful people around sometimes sometimes it can grate on you but michael's got <laughs> it nailed i almost never like wanted to punch him in the face cuz he was so <laughs> Which is
0: a compliment. I I think um, for me, it's certainly, it's, it's always, I've generally been drawn towards people that are the complete opposite of me. Because, you know, if I am that sort of more quiet, subdued kind of person who wouldn't necessarily wear my heart on my sleeve, then I would tend to typically sort of be drawn. I'm thinking more about sort of ex girlfriends and stuff. They've always, they were always more outgoing and more. You know, they would do the talking for me, so to speak.
1: You know, I always, you know, and I think the whole opposite thing is why, you know, I married a very beautiful woman, right? Because clearly, <laughs> I am clearly. I feel bad
0: about my comment now. You look—you don't look like crap. You don't look like, like Anyway, Just look at my hair. I mean, you know, what can I say? I was going to look for a no, baseball cap for this week, but.
1: No, you're a creative. And maybe we should steer away from the ex girlfriend's topic. I don't want to get myself in trouble. <laughs> no, I don't that. want
0: to get into trouble anyway. There so you go. Um, we actually missed last week's episode. We couldn't we couldn't get our schedules to to line up last week, but basically you'd been you'd been busy as well yourself. So how about we fill everyone in on what we've been up to a little bit as well these last these last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I was in San Francisco doing a workshop. Um, I do these. My wife and I typically do them together, but she couldn't come this time. And we do these. We do these uh, two to three day. We call them tech lead workshops. Although, frankly, we're hearing from a lot of folks that um, they are they go through the workshop. These these managers and they they their thought when they leave is how do I teach this to my team or how do I get this material in front of my team? The obvious answer for me is. Just hire me, I'll bring it to your team. So we're looking at like, how do we position this in a different way? Um, you know, in, a, in a lot of ways, they're just basic sort of human interactions. Um, in some ways, the workshops could be thought of as learning to see yourself more clearly, learning to not be a passive aggressive jerk, learning to deal with conflict. But uh, we, we kind of frame them in the way of like, this is what you need to do to build better teamwork. Um, so we've got three or four more lined up this year. I'm going to going to go do another one next week. How about you? What are you up to?
0: Well, before I jump on to me, just what you oh, were right. saying there, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you, so basically, you 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 what you do is aim towards a, a particular audience. You know, you work with the the, the technical uh, teams, right? Managers, uh, sure, teams. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult because we always want to work within a niche, you know, because that's what we know we're supposed to do. And it's easier to market as well. If you say, you know, I can help you. So it's always strange, not strange. It's always difficult when you know what you do is also applicable to so many other areas and and markets, because what do you do? Do you all of a sudden say, oh, well, actually now I can actually work with the entire team. So therefore, should I market my services as I can help your entire team? Or should I just stick with the technical side and then let it trickle down?
1: Yeah, you know we and and I've got, you know, my mailing list has gotten to the point where it's a little bit bigger and and people will email me and say, "Why do you call yourself like technical leadership?" Because these are just basic leadership principles. You know, why aren't you teaching people in marketing and accounting and sales and operations and why don't you work with the creative side? And uh, like, sure, everybody could use this stuff, but from a marketing perspective, it's so much easier to, to, uh, to actually sort of be in the head of the person because uh, that, that you wanna buy from you because you can use all the examples that they are already familiar with. Mm-hmm. And I guess that has come down to a really practical approach. The greedy parts of me says, yeah, I want everybody to take this. But when I sit down to write a sales page it's like I just take my service and I just use examples for the target audience. And that's, that actually is um, really helpful. So by examples, I'll use situations or phrases or I'll talk about tools or processes that tech people. Like I'll talk about Agile and I'll talk about Git or I'll talk about different ways of working together. Everybody can use these things, but I'm trying to, to, to do the thing where I'm, I'm focused on a market. Um, I don't know, I don't know, what do you, what do you think? Like, because certainly you, you know, in the past you did work for all kinds of companies, but Nucy is also proposal software that could be used, heck, people could use it for internal proposals at an enterprise, right? Mm. You can use it for all sorts of things, but you've chosen a very specific market as well.
0: Yeah, and it is difficult because we are finding now that as we are growing more businesses outside of our target market, are coming to us now and they were asking us for use cases that Nuci wasn't designed for and so I do have to say you know well NUSI was built for workers companies within the creative within the creative market creative sector so it was never really designed to do this that or the other so to a certain degree I mean there are lots of companies that use NUSI and they do fall miles outside the the creative spectrum, so to speak, that, you know, we have companies, you know, pest control we've had in the past and, you know, (laughs) sort of catering companies and anything you could imagine, really. So I think there are people that self-identify with the software and say, well, you know, it's going to work for me anyway. But like you said, it's always easier to actually reach a certain audience if you're actually honing in on that audience, you know, because we market to essentially ourselves, or people that we have been in the past because that's that's the market that's the market we know so yes and again the greedy side thinks well well why don't we just become proposal software full stop and then we can get everyone well because it doesn't work does it it doesn't work like that it doesn't work. How, how do you market unless you have a boatload of money to go out and spend that on advertising. Yes, we are proposal software for absolutely everyone and maybe market to you know have landing pages set up for this, that, this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, I think you spread yourself thin and, and the message becomes thin and the software becomes less and less useful.
1: Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head that when we see companies, for example, take a shoe company like Adidas, right? At least in the, in the States, Adidas makes all kinds of shoes, but they generally make tennis shoes and athletic shoes. But they make it for soccer and football and basketball and running and walking and like all kinds of sports. And my guess is, and you just mentioned the strategy, every one of those sports has a landing page or a section of their site. Mm-hmm. Yep, same shoe. But the person who plays you know, tennis thinks about themselves very differently than the person who plays soccer. And so when they go to the page, they're immediately trying to understand, is this product for me? So you can't just have something that says, we make shoes, you need, you have feet, you need our shoes, right? I've never seen a campaign like that. But what you do see is, you know, if you want to be, you know, if you want to level up your tennis game or you're moving from court, you know, clay to grass or whatever, I don't know, I'm not a tennis person, um, like we've got the special shoe for you. So even amongst companies that you think about as selling generally, their marketing teams almost always put together landing pages and campaigns and very specific language for a chosen set of of uh, different target audiences.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. And we, to be honest, just don't have that money there. I don't either, or all the time either. Really, you know, we need to be able to focus on the people that we can most easily know convert the with the we you know convert the with the the, you know, the, 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 yeah. the best software for their you know for their situation it's it's a lot harder to convince someone when they're not even sure if the software is gonna do the job that they need it to do or if your service is going to be able to help their business because it falls outside of the bracket you're advertising to well in that case you know look for someone who advertises to what you do. Exactly, I think we'd all, you know, for example, a year ago, I didn't have
1: such a laser focus. I was trying to serve two markets, the software manager slash software leader who worked for someone else, and the person that owned the company, who also happened to be like a software manager because they just happened to own the company. Mm-hmm. And I kept finding, like I would write, one email one day would be towards one audience and one the next one would be towards the other and I would try and create groups, and I would try and mix these people together, they frankly had such different concerns. I just had to give up one of the audiences so that I could focus my work. I gave up on the people who own the business because they are far more concerned with sales and marketing at the end of the day than they are about being great managers. That's because if they don't focus on sales and marketing, there's no business to manage, at least for most of them. So that's okay. But I've, I'm happier now that I've sort of chosen one.
0: Okay, cool. By the way, obviously, you're on the other side of the pond. We, at the moment, over here in Europe, are having a bit of a nightmare with something called GDPR. You've heard about that, right? Oh,
1: yes. Yes. Okay, excellent. We, on the other hand, are data whores. Uh, we don't <laughs> care who has our data, it appears. And the government doesn't either. But, but what does <laughs> the, the government care? doesn't even
0: get that dig in there. <laughs> <laughs> That's all going to change soon, though, isn't it, I think, thanks to our friend over at Facebook. I think so. Well, now we can clear our history. So isn't that enough? Uh... Well, I think I think the word on the street is that GDPR is going to be the precursor to a change in law in the States as well. So for those who are listening, if you've never heard of GDPR, it's the General Data Protection Regulation, which is a new, a new law, essentially, that they're bringing in all across Europe, and it's the way that we handle customer data within our system, within our service, within, you know, anything. So whether you run a SaaS, whether you run an agency, whether even if you just have a newsletter list for your blog, if you handle data within Europe, even if you're outside of Europe, you need to be aware of this. But especially within Europe, you need to be abiding now to certain, to certain standards and laws of protecting your client's data. They need to be able to request to, to, to know exactly how you're using their data, like exactly. Basically it's just really, really clamping down on larger companies, shall we say, like Facebook and the big boys, so they can't be selling that data on to advertising companies, you know, and we all get this spammy crap in our email sales calls of companies we've never heard from, where's that data come from? Well, somebody's supplying it somewhere. And basically it's 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 the way of controlling this. It just so happens that there is no division between the Facebooks of the world and the nooses of the world who have two employees. You know, We all fall into the same category. And we're all expected to fall, you know, to comply to the same standards. So it's May the 25th is doomsday. That's when it all goes off. And people in Europe are running around like headless chickens at the moment, trying to make sure their businesses are compliant, make sure all the services they are using are compliant because if they're using a service that isn't compliant, then you're no longer compliant. So we're gonna to have to stop using certain services based in the US, the ones who couldn't give a flying Crap! Um, enough,
1: I guess they're going to lose your business.
0: They're going to lose, yeah, and yeah. So that's what we're dealing with at the moment. It's 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 a nightmare.
1: And my guess is, and I don't know, but almost any time there's like these new regulations, there must be a penalty if you don't comply on the date. Uh, financial penalty,
0: right? I think it's more about being seen to be proactive about customer data handling. There are fines, and the fines have been. Stated as, I think it's 4% of yearly revenue or 20 million, whichever is larger.
1: <laughs> I know which one would be larger
0: for me. Yeah. Uh. So it's fair to say that that would put any small business or any, not even a small business, out of business. That that would yeah. be a game game over. So the stakes are high. Some people are saying, obviously, you know, as long as, long as you're being seen to document the process and to actively seek to to improve the, the data, as we say, management of your clients, then that's that's almost good enough. It remains to be seen how things will play out, whether these larger companies will be caught out, reported, whether they'll end up going to court, what the fines will be. And then I think the smaller companies and then the really, really small companies like us will be able to actually see what we're playing with because at the moment it's uh, it's crazy. Yeah, and they are saying that this will be the precursor to what will then be passed over to the states maybe who knows I'm sure. in, in in a in a few years time so
1: well and i'm curious on this so if you're if, if people are listening and they are you know either freelancers and they're doing creative work uh, or they're um, you know maybe they're web people or web maybe they're building software Uh, How does this, uh, you know, what what have you learned so far that we need to pass along to folks who are listening who maybe haven't considered it? Like, maybe you're in the States and you have a European client. Uh, Maybe you're actually in Europe and you figure, well, this doesn't apply to me. Uh, Like, does it apply to people who maybe aren't, don't think it applies to them in some non-obvious ways?
0: I think so, yes. And we should probably state now that neither of us are lawyers here. So anything we say is personal opinion and goes no further than that. But any time that data leaves Europe, it needs to leave securely. So if I'm sent, if we, for example, our servers on Heroku are in the States. So obviously we need to know that Heroku is dealing with data in a way that is also, that also falls under the standards that would be expected by the GDPR So you have to guarantee that, yes, any data leaving Europe is still being dealt with in a way deemed proper by the GDPR. But at its very, very basic level, it means that up until now, if you'd signed up to a newsletter, if you signed up to a freebie, you know, that free chapter, the free book chapter. Right. So from from now on, basically, that would mean if I was giving you my email for a free book chapter, that's all you could give me. You couldn't do anything else with my email unless I explicitly gave you permission. And by explicitly giving you permission, that means you would have to provide me with a series of checkboxes that says, I give you permission to send me um, your follow-up course, whatever the, the, the video, op-free download you have. You, you can't just throw me into a list anymore, even though I've given you my email. I, you can't just throw me into a list anymore and send me other stuff should we say everything needs to be explicit. You know, the traditional sign up for a SAS and even we've got it now that we have our terms and conditions and we have our privacy. When you sign up for NUSI, there's a little a little text under the button that says, by signing up to NUSI, you agree to our terms and conditions. Right. That's no longer good enough. You have to expressly actually click, change the order round now, so to speak, have the, a link to the terms and conditions above. So they actually have to physically check the checkbox So they have, in theory, read the terms and conditions and are aware. Everything needs to be explicit now. There can be nothing Mm. implied. You have to state on your privacy pages and everything now what's happening to the data, where it's going. It's going to affect a lot more people than they probably think is going to affect. You know, oh, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just a blogger and I'm collecting for my... I yeah. think even you're, I, even you're going to be affected, you know. I think there's still so much to get your head around. And I've read loads and loads. And it's becoming, it's at that point now, it's just going round and round and round in my head and, and not a huge amount of it makes sense. I mean, for example, us at NUSI, again, to repeat, we're a two-person business, but even we have to get the lawyers in on this. The lawyers are going to be coming in to check the the privacy and the terms we'll be having and the DPA, which is a form that customers of ours can sign to um, to say that they are, you know, sort of, they know what we're doing with their data, they're happy with that and that's okay. But again, we can only get, some people are asking us to sign DPAs for their company. And we can't do that because that would mean getting every single one checked by a lawyer every single time. And that's just out of the question. So- What's a
1: DPA for those of us the, the, like me that don't know?
0: The DPA, oh, you, you're testing me now. It's the, I'm gonna have to look up the, the acronym now.
1: Cause I thought to myself, well, I don't store data about people. But, um, you know, my email provider, Drip, certainly does. And uh, you're absolutely right. Like, I will have a lead magnet that's like a free chapter or a free download. And I've just been dumping people onto a list. And then I send them a welcome to the list. And here's how you can opt out. I've been assuming they want the stuff. And, of course, they can opt out. But because I, I think that's been sort of the, the way in the States or at least everywhere Right? You just start sending stuff, and as long as you give people the ability to opt out, you're okay. Mm-hmm. It sounds like GDPR turns that on its head. I now <clears throat> need to be saying, oh, you want this. Do you want this as well? Or by by saying you want X, the terms and conditions indicate that you will also – Except y and z as a part of it i have to really think about this now
0: yeah it's very much just twisting everything around and putting flipping it on its head so you need to be giving that uh that consent beforehand rather than well i have a get out clause right there's just there are just so many things to it and people are stressing and rightly so perhaps we are stressing unnecessarily as well you know because we are all running around like headless chickens, because we are all terrified that, you know, the worst of the worst is going to happen and we're suddenly going to find ourselves essentially without a business. Everyone is trying to do their due diligence, due, due diligence uh, at least try to cover themselves. You know, nobody, at the core of it, anything that improves data security and sensitivity is a great thing. I, 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 I don't, agree. I don't, I don't like having hundreds of pieces of data about me, you know, just sprawled across the internet. But at the same time, it's, there's no distinction between a facebook and a newsee it's it's absurd and the dpa yes is a data processing addendum okay we can't, we can't pay a lawyer to to check every single one and so that's not going to happen so we're going to have a standard dpa that our customers can sign that will have been checked by our lawyer and that's as far as we go and if if that's not good enough for people then that's got not good enough you know the uh, the only other option is going to be to opt out altogether so it's it's going to be an interesting couple of months to see how this pans out and to see whether anyone gets that twenty million.
1: Yeah, well, I guess we'll see. So thank you. I'm I now intend to look into this more carefully because I see how it does apply to me where I didn't really think it did thirty five minutes ago. So well, as far uh, as I
0: know, drip have only just added. I've only added a filter to their software so you can actually see which clients of yours are in europe so you can get yourself out of trouble by essentially deleting them if drip wanted to correct me on that that's the only thing i can see they're doing at the moment to come up to scratch yeah so it looks like we're going to have to go elsewhere as well for certain services but there we go
1: there we go, there we go. well you know let's shall we turn and let's take one question today i mean i I think this has been really useful let's Let's try and do one question um and let's kind of see where we get. How about that
0: yeah sure well let's let's take a question I heard from from Carolyn, and this was about source files requests, and uh, what's a source file request that is let me have everything you have because I've paid you money. And we'll we can do whatever we want with it, right? Let let's let's be a bit more specific. Let me let me read this email from from Carolyn, and uh, you'll be able to get a better gist. So uh, let's have a look. The dreaded source files request. We work with many different types of clients, but I have found, especially with agencies, a lot of misconceptions surrounding IP source files and copyright. They just don't get it, and it always feels like it's their right to have them hand-delivered on a silver platter, even if the contract says otherwise. I could elaborate tons more on this, so let me know if you need any further info. Uh, As it always seems to be the elephant in the room, it would be great to get some insight and advice on how you guys have dealt with this in the past. I think this question probably has to go to you because you you were running the agency for years, and I imagine the experience with source files, requests, demands... It's probably far greater than what I experienced as a freelance designer.
1: You know, we certainly had them. Uh, so first, I want to like. There's something else that stood out to me about that question. So Carolyn, if you're listening, or whoever is interested in this, uh, if you have a contract and your contract, drawn up by your attorney, clearly states that some kinds of work product will not be delivered to the client, like your source files. Like for us, maybe it was. Uh, internal libraries that we that we owned and used across many projects, if you have templates, if you have tools, if you have scripts, if you have things that you've written uh, that you consider to be your property and your contract states it, it's not really a question of, should you give it to them? The answer is no, they signed a contract. The question might be, should you communicate to them clearly in advance uh, that they're not going to receive them. I think the answer to that is yes. So if this is becoming an area where you're getting a lot of pushback um, on a regular basis, whether it's from a big agency or whatever, first, like don't don't violate your own contract. But second, there's nothing from keeping you from putting right in the proposal that you know interstitial or in progress work files not you know, part of the final deliverable, Uh, are the right, you know, we retain the right to keep those. So that's the first thing is just, if you have done the work to to draft a contract that is exactly what you want it to be, make sure that you stick to it. It's in the contract. They signed the contract for a reason. Um, And and again, this might be an area, like I see this a lot with payment terms. I would have a contract that would say 15 day payment terms. The client would sign it. 30 days would go by, and I'd say, well, where's my money? And they'd say, well, our payment terms are 45 days. Wait, I didn't sign your contract. You signed mine, right? And that meant you legally agreed to these 15 days, so now we have a problem because you're in breach of the contract that you elected to sign. Mm -hmm. So, uh, So now, for example, the way I overcame that is I would state in the proposal, you know, we have a standard 15 day uh, payment terms. If you would like to negotiate different payment terms, do that before signing this. I give them essentially the option to have a discussion with me in advance about payment terms rather than assuming that the contract doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. The uh, yeah, Go ahead, yeah.
0: No, I was just gonna say that one of the few issues I ever did come across, like I said, I was always, where this concerned me at least, a freelance designer. So I would always tend to sign over the files and I would actually have that in my proposal as well. At the end of the, at the end of this, on the final payment, everything becomes yours. That's fine. I don't care. So that was always great for me. But I remember in the past, working in certain agencies, you would be designing elements, should we say, for certain uh, marketing materials that may have been branding, should we say, for a certain, um, I'm trying to think of the word in English. The so Spanish is coming out. For for a certain area, which might have been, should we just say uh, those big billboard signage? You know, you might have been display, right. designing a campaign for that, and those elements were for were to be used within that campaign, and that would be in the contract. But then you would find that the the client has decided. Oh, do you know what? I'm actually I have to do design some flyers as well. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take those original files. I'm going to transpose them over to a flyer design and I'm going to get those printed out and I'm going to leave those. And that might sound like a petty kind of thing, but it was in the contract, you know, that we will be designing this this format for this medium because essentially you want them to come back to you again in the future to be able to do any future work in a way that, you know, represents their company in the way it should be represented and in the work that you do as well. And And that would come up time and time again that they would try and use um what's what's the word um i can't think of the word I can't think of the word the the parts of the project you know however they, they 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 chose whereas it wasn't actually theirs and it's a strange concept i get it's a strange concept for clients who have paid well say well this is mine now this is mine i can do whatever i want is that just that they don't read the contract they don't want to understand the contract they Well, you know, if if you were doing it for me,
1: I might not understand because I'm not a designer. Um, And so I think there's two parts of this. There's one being really clear on what the deliverables are. And heck, if you're having this problem, be really clear on what the deliverables aren't or how you're not allowed to use them. Uh, So if you, for example, say, like, we're going to design business cards for you, and you know we will hand over the final pdf of the business cards that's print ready that maybe does not give you the right to have the indesign file for the business cards that would allow you to go in and and make all these changes
0: exactly and that um, would be the next question then the email oh could we just have the could we just have the uh, the psd or this or the illustrator or whatever we just want to well yeah you can but it'll cost you
1: <laughs> sure and that's the other thing right i like how you say it because of course you could buy that, but that's an additional charge. If, you know, so thinking in advance, you know, if I give you a print ready PDF that you can take to the printer, that costs X. If you want the source material, that might cost 2X because my business is in, you know, creating these things. And, you know, that I'm essentially, you know, limiting my ability to, to act uh, to make money by giving you these.
0: So essentially, coming back to pricing options then, could we almost give them those packages once again, you know? Well, here's the cost for package A, which is going to get you, you know, it's going to get what you need, which is what we discussed in the previous episodes. You know, package A would always get done what you need to be done for the budget we discussed. But then if you want all the source files, if you want to be able to do whatever the heck you want afterwards, then it's going to cost you five times that, you know? But then it's yours. It's all yours. You know, do what you want. Go crazy.
1: Yeah, and you know when it came to because I worked in software, some we our contracts, for example, had what we called two types of deliverables: Type A deliverables and Type B deliverables. And Type A deliverables were specific uh, code or designs or things that the client owned the full IP on. But Type B deliverables were either open source or other licensed products that we did not own, but we did use in the building. For example, WordPress, you cannot grant someone legal right to own WordPress because you don't have the right to own WordPress, but you're going to use it. And so you need to have something in your contract that says, you know, we can't grant you rights to type B deliverables. Other than we can, you know, you'll never own it, but maybe we grant you the right to, to reuse it, um, especially if it's maybe you've developed templates or source code or libraries that you do own. We would grant our clients what we called a uh, perpetual uh, unlimited license to reuse or to use the things we had developed, but they did not retain ownership. And at any time that we, you know, our contract would say we could revoke that license from them if we decided we were gonna sell the company, the next the company that bought us, that would be intellectual property assets of the company that purchased us. Mm-hmm. So I think there are different types of deliverables and being clear about what the client does own and what the client doesn't own, and also, again, not burying it in the fine print.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, making sure, if, if you're having this problem, make it a pre-contract discussion to let them know what they'll get and the contrast of we're not going to send you InDesign files. We're not going to send you Illustrator or certain kinds of things. We just don't do that either because that's our intellectual property and we, we just don't do that for anyone. Or I like what you said earlier, like this pricing option. Maybe you can offer them uh, a, a, a price option where you'll license it to them and then they, you continue to have the right to use it mm-hmm. as well.
0: Yeah, I think for me, I never went down down that road because it all just seemed too scary. That seemed like too much small print. And so I was always of the mind, do you know what? I don't really care. As a freelance, I could say that, you know, I understand when you're working with teams, you have employees, you have people to pay. It's not the same thing. So I was always of the mind, "Do you know what? I don't care. Maybe I should have, and I probably should have, but for me, that was that was the that was the situation.
1: I think you only care if it becomes a problem. Sounds like for the person who wrote in, this is a problem for them. so if they if she perceives it's a problem or the client perceives it's a problem, if it keeps getting in the way of good relationships and the perception of good service, address it up front.
0: Yes, I think what you're saying it all comes down to communication ahead of time, but I can imagine it's also quite difficult because regardless of what business you work in, turning around to a client and say well we can't do this and actually you signed you you signed a document stating that we couldn't do this always feels a bit icky because you're, you're having to get down to you know this already please don't try it on here's where you signed for this because at the end of the day and I maybe I don't know maybe this is where Caroline Caroline is coming from is that it's not a nice thing to have to do, is it? To say, "Well, did you read the contract? Did you really read the contract? Because that's what it says." And it's an uncomfortable conversation. So yes, what you were saying is maybe it needs to be instead of being in the terms and conditions like traditional terms and conditions, maybe it needs to come front and center stage if it's if it's bigger, you know, that bigger an issue.
1: Yeah, you know, there's a lot of things in your contract that that you might at some point in your career have to tell someone. Um, you know, you the contract states we will do things this way. Uh, I understand. it feels like conflict. It seems like you're being a jerk. I like to think about the contract almost like a third person. Like, you know, I would love to do that for you, but the contract says I can't. (laughs) Um, If you would like to renegotiate, do we need a contract amendment? If so, we can talk about what that looks like, and of course there'll be extra charges because we're changing the the nature of our work together, but that darn contract keeps being enforced And, you know, it's like this jerk boss I've got, right? I can't do anything about it. We both signed it. We both have to abide by it unless we both agree that we need an amendment to it. If you sort of take that approach with everything about the contract and you stop being wishy-washy on, well, you don't have to really pay on those terms or, well, you, don't, you I'll just give you – I know the contract says I'm not supposed to give you those files, but I'll do that for you like start respecting the contract as though it were an important part of your business, not just something that you signed because your dad said you should have a contract, right? Um, It's there to help you. And, and you can, you can absolutely lean on it for help because it's, it is the, you know, a legal document that you and the other group have, have basically come to terms on.
0: That's awesome. I think we should definitely leave it there because that third person contract I, 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 I forget we're on audio and video now. So if I do an action or something, I have to actually <laughs> say words at the same time. You do. So what are you trying to say? I think that sums it up perfectly. That's a great way of looking at, you know, I would love to help you out, but you know, this was the contract. This is what the contract says. We can, of course, make an update to that. Let's talk about how we do that. Let's talk about the associated costs. So it's, you know, blame it on the boss man. The boss man's the contract. Yep
1: exactly right the contracts the thing you both came to and your lawyers or at least maybe if it's a big company their lawyers reviewed it right um so yeah make the contract the bad guy but then realize you have the power to amend it but you don't have the power to just pretend it doesn't exist that's Mm -hmm. what i'm going to say that's where we get into trouble
0: fantastic all right well let's leave it for there then because we uh we were chatting for a good while there before we even got to the questions so i think we'll have to Leave some more for next week, and yeah, so we'll be back again same time next week. Same time next week. Write your questions in Nathan.
1: Where can they send their questions?
0: Podcast at thecreativebusinesspodcast.com. and they will get through to us. And we'd love to we'd love to be able to help you out in our own little own little way.
1: Fantastic. All right, we'll see everybody next week.
0: All right, Marcus. Have a great weekend,
1: man. You too, man. Cheers. Thanks. Bye.